It is nice to pay homage to the grandmother, but it is better to celebrate the mother, the Holy Mother Church, and how the Mother Church wants to be celebrated. So said Pope Francis, the Roman pontiff, the vicar of Christ. What does he mean? Why do we care? What does that have to do with ultramontanism and the false spirit of Vatican I? And how can we respond with the greatest amount of rigid rigidity possible? Today on the One Peter Five podcast. Jesus is King. Welcome to the One Peter Five podcast, rebuilding Christendom, restoring Catholic culture and tradition. I'm Timothy Flanders, the editor in chief of One Peter Five. Welcome to this Monday stream. God willing, I, I hope to do this every Monday. Um, we'll have Dr. Kwasniewski on next week, and um, we'll see how if we can do this regularly, God willing. Um, today, we're going to talk about Pope Francis's latest statements and how this gives us a perfect opportunity to introduce our newest series. And it, what, in my view, and the view of many, is one of the most pressing issues of our time in the church which helps to underscore the key, the key, the root at so much of the crisis in the church that goes back long before Vatican II, and in fact talks about a false spirit in Vatican I. So we'll talk about that today a little bit and introduce that. Before we get into that, I want to encourage everyone to become a monthly donor to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5 is a nonprofit organization. We are an online journal working to promote the traditionalist cause and rebuild Christendom and unite the clans. But we need to rebuild our subscriber and donor base. We are a crowdfunded organization and we need your help. We are still in the red. We still have a deficit. And so we need your support. So please go to onepeter5.com slash donate to become a monthly donor. So with that, let's talk about this week. First, we have the great feast of the Holy Trinity, and we have a very, very, very important feast coming up this Thursday, which is near and dear to our hearts at 1 Peter 5. We promote the crusade of Eucharistic reparation, which was begun by His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Snyder in 2020, which we are promoting as a part of the lay cause. And this Thursday is the great feast of Corpus Christi. Here in the Liturgy of the Home calendar, which you can get at uh, literatorofthehome.com. This is a, a fantastic way to build Daddy, Christendom in. Daddy, hey, sorry to bother you while you're working, but there's a turtle in our garage. A turtle? Really? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I would love to. You better capture it. Did you tell mom? Well, we, we found it in the... Yeah. Did you care? Okay, just pick it up and give it to mom. Put it in a in a box, or you can put it in the bucket. Okay. Did you see it? Oh man, this is so exciting. Oh man. Well, can't wait to uh have an awesome time with my kids in about uh 20 minutes. Uh so Trinity Sunday goes into the great feast of Corpus Christi. So this is a feast instituted to draw our faith and the faith of the of, of all the whole church. Uh, to this, the adoration of this great mystery of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, ha which has waned more and more since the imposition of the Novus Ordo and all sorts of other factors in society and the church. And so this is the perfect time to enter the crusade of Eucharistic reparation. 
what it is, practically speaking, it is making a, a very minimal commitment to the Lord to make reparation to his sacred heart and the blessed sacrament and to adore him to offer one holy hour per month, just one hour per month to offer up in reparation to the blessed sacrament. And there is a prayer to uh, our Lord in the blessed sacrament. This is um, our contributing editor, our contributing editor, Dr. Kwasniewski wrote this fantastic text, um, Holy Bread of Eternal Life. And this is a, a meditation on the crusade of Eucharistic reparation. And it has the, the prayer of, our, of His Excellency, the prayer for Eucharistic reparation uh, for the, this crusade. And I think this is, this is really the crusade of our forefathers in the trad movement, is this Eucharistic reparation, this desire to give God the honor which is due to Him in the Most Holy Sacrament of the Altar. And it is only in doing so, and in focusing on giving him this honor and glory, that we are even transformed into the likeness of Christ, as the offertory prayer says, may we be, through the mystery of this water and mind, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. And many of those offertory prayers were eviscerated by the Novus Ordo. And uh, or the communion prayers before coming up to Holy Communion as well. Um, and so we desire that God may receive the honor which is due to him. And that is the very first and most important reason for our struggle for the Latin Mass, for the ancient rite of Rome. And so this Thursday is the perfect opportunity to enter into this crusade. So as I said, very minimal commitment, just once a month adoration. You can also join, you can be a, a custos traditionis, which is where you're, you're a guardian of tradition by praying the memorare every single day for the revocation of traditionis custodis. You can pray the Eucharist prayer of reparation. Uh, His Excellency also recommends that dioceses and parishes institute the octave day of Corpus Christi as a annual day of reparation to the Blessed Sacrament. And this is something you can do in your parish community. Uh, my parish does a, a monthly first Friday reparation adoration for 24 hours. Um, it's it's a great thing to do in your parish. It's a great thing to organize or just commit privately if, if you can't organize it in your parish or or do what you can. So um, the Corpus Christi, uh, the, after the reforms, I believe it was Pius the Alet or Pius the 12th, after the 1955 reforms, the Corpus Christi octave was dropped. And so there used to be an octave of Corpus Christi from Thursday to Thursday, and then the next day was Sacred Heart, but that has been dropped. So it's a great thing to restore the octave, at least personally or privately or in your family, to pray some prayer of reparation or adoration to the Blessed Sacrament for eight days straight, starting on Corpus Christi this Thursday. So that's my pitch. Please join the crusade of Eucharistic reparation. This is the soul of our movement, is offering Jesus Christ more honor, glory, and praise in the Blessed Sacrament. So let's talk about Pope Francis. Now, Pope Francis, as as I said, as I quoted in the beginning, has made a, a, a homily to the, the priests of Sicily in which he rails upon grandma's lace in the words that I described. Now, before we talk about grandma's lace, we need to give grandma her due. That reminds me of uh, my favorite characters in the recent documentary, Mass of the Ages, Episode 2. If you haven't watched it, please go watch it. This is Mass of the Ages, Episode 2, A Perfect Storm. And the fa my favorite characters of the film were these two 
grandmothers of the faith, mothers of our movement, who helped to preserve the faith, just like the uh, the under the as the Russian mothers did under the Soviets. Um, these women helped to preserve the faith of our forefathers at a time when there was massive amount of iconoclasm, destroying the liturgy and sacrileges against the Blessed Sacrament. Let me see if I can do the audio on this. I don't know if this goes through properly. For, but... for me to find it. I've been doing this for 40 years. But this is the one I'm currently working on. If you go look behind you there, you'll see I've got the back of it over there. And this is what I intend to use on the back of the vestment. So these are our grandmothers in the faith. Our grandmothers in the faith, they're really supporting the uh, the, the whole church, really. Uh, it is the little old ladies praying their rosaries in the pew that are really supporting the whole church at this point. Uh, we, we've got so many bad leaders, bad bishops. We've got heretic theologians, heretic bishops who deny the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. But we have these little old ladies, and they are literally holding up the whole church right now. It's their prayers that are holding up so many different parishes that are about to just collapse uh, the whole church itself. And so we need to pay homage where it's due to grandma. Grandma has say, stayed steadfast when all other people have, have fled away. And they've gone with the spirit of the world. So we need to give honor and due to grandma and understand how much work is it to make a beautiful vestment, to make lace, to make all sorts of things that grandma makes. There's actually a uh, this beautiful moment in the film where uh, one of the ladies uh, shows a, a, a Tridentine mass set up with these dolls that help to teach the mass. And it's really grandma who is holding up the church, holding the traditional movement. So we need to give honor where it's due and credit where it's due and celebrate these wonderful women who are imitating the Blessed Virgin Mary, who are holding on for dear life with the faith that moves mountains. This is the faith of that mustard seed that they have, that we, we lack. We need to grow in our own faith to imitate them. So grandma's lace according to what the Holy Father is saying, it brings up this important concept of the false spirit of Vatican I. The false spirit of Vatican I has many different aspects to it. But one of the aspects of it is that we reduce the life of the Catholic. We reduce Catholic life to the next thing the Pope says. We reduce Catholic life to the next thing the Pope says. Why do we care what the Roman pontiff said to somebody in Sicily? Why do we care as Catholics? What does it matter? I don't care what he was saying to some person here or there or anywhere, unless he wants to talk to me, unless he wants to talk to the whole church and make a definitive pronouncement ex cathedra. Okay, then I'll listen or something like that. If, if Pope Francis wants to rail off on somebody in Sicily or anywhere, 
maybe maybe he was saying something good. Maybe they had maybe they had an insane superstitious cult that was surrounding grandma's lace and they were worshiping it like Gideon's ephod. Okay, maybe that was a maybe that was a problem that she he actually needed to address. More likely, he was railing on the rigid rigidity of us, the trads, and our rigid rigidity rigidness that's so rigid and awfully rigid. That's more likely. Now, when Pope Francis continues to do this, he is, as as Henry Sear notes in his important text, if you haven't read The Dictator Pope, this is the most penetrating analysis of Pope Francis is The Dictator Pope here by Henry Sear, which Henry Sear is an Anglo, he is a, a, a Spanish-speaking Anglo who uh, lives in Spain. And he understands this, this psychological Peronist mindset that comes out of the political world of Argentina. And so this is, to, to me, the most penetrating and fair and um, rational analysis of Pope Francis, the phenomenon of, of Pope Francis, if you will, which explains why he confirmed the FSSP, for example, before Lent. And yet he says something like this to the Sicilians. It helps to understand these things. But more than that, it gives us this occasion to take a step back and reclaim true Catholic life. Reclaim traditional Catholic life from the false spirit of Vatican I. False spirit of Vatican I has every single morning, I get up and read whatever the Pope said next. Well, another aspect of this is this is a complete failure of this most critical Catholic principle of subsidiarity. Jesus Christ himself founded the church on the rock of St. Peter, which was the person of Peter and his confession of faith, and then endowed the 12 apostles and their successors with this same faith. And so that every single bishop becomes Peter is in his own diocese. There is a chair of Peter in every single diocese. But there's a the greatest and fundamental chair of Peter is the one in Rome, of course. But that's why out of the patristic era, we have these tensions in the complete sort of competing ecclesiologies, if you will. You have Eucharistic ecclesiology, which is the, the Catholic Church is the bishop, according to St. Ignatius of Antioch. And you have the Petrine Roman ecclesiology of the fathers coming out of Pope St. Stephen, Pope St. Leo in particular, St. Pope St. Gregory the Great, which enunciates the fullness of this Petrine primacy. But subsidiarity, according to the founding and design of our Lord Jesus Christ, subsidiarity is the Catholic Church is the bishop, the local bishop. The Catholic Church is the local bishop in communion with the Roman See. Peter is in communion with Peter. And this is the nor- this is the normal Catholic life of our forefathers. The normal Catholic life was day to day with your bishop. As the church expanded, it became with your bishop's representative, the priest. And then that priest commemorated the local bishop, making the Catholic church in communion with the see of Peter in Rome.
This is normal Catholic life. Now, the false spirit of Vatican I came about at a time when our forefathers were fighting tooth and nail during the Ninth Crusade, when the Ninth Crusader, the Papal Zuaves, came from all over the world to fight against the Masonic revolutionaries in Italy in the 1900s, I'm sorry, the 19th century. And it came to a point when men were reducing the whole of Catholic life to the papacy. And they were doing so for good reason, because they were fighting and laying down their lives and die, bleeding and dying to save the Pope from the Masonic revolutionaries who were taking over the papal states. When that failed, but it didn't fail spiritually, it was a great success spiritually. But in the temporal sphere, it did fail in God's providence. And after that, the papacy became a universal teaching office. And this is one of the aspects of the false spirit of Vatican I. Because when you read Vatican I, Vatican I says the infallibility of the Roman pontiff has been given to the Roman pontiff not to make known some new doctrine, but to faithfully guard the apostolic depositum fidei. This is the, tr the true doctrine of Vatican I to be distinguished from this false spirit. The universal teaching office of the Pope becomes an excess when Catholics begin to focus all of their intention in Catholic life on what the next thing the Pope says. And they forget their own catechisms. This is the false spirit of Vatican I. Pope Francis says XYZ to so-and-so in some place. This should not disturb us. First of all, because our spiritual life should be grounded in Christ, in the church. And whatever the Pope does or says should not change our peace of mind and our peace of heart in Christ. But secondarily, we need to understand the way that the church must be understood according to Catholic doctrine, according to the true doctrine of Vatican I, not according to an excessive amount of papalism. This gives us the occasion to reflect because, by all accounts, Pope Francis has just offended grandma. That's not cool. Because grandma is due her credit. So we say, your holy father, holy father, why did you offend grandma who spent 60 hours making this lace? Your holiness, what is the meaning of this? How could you say that to grandmother? But will he answer us? I don't know. But that doesn't matter. If he answers or not, we need to have the peace of mind to be in Christ, in the church, in a state of grace. And this is normal Catholic life. So at 1 Peter 5, we're working to dismantle this false spirit of Vatican I. And there's so many other aspects to this. But this is the way that Catholic life has developed in reaction to the Masonic and Marxist revolutionaries destroying Christendom. We have fought against it. Our fathers have fought against it tooth and nail. And now we're coming to this point. And this is, this is the silver lining of the Francis pontificate. I believe this is the silver lining because Pope Francis has, has shown, has, has revealed 
this false spirit of Vatican one. We had, we had John Paul two had, there was a great, uh, a great div- devotion to John Paul two among Catholics and non-Catholics. And very few saw the problem with that. Very few saw the problem with that. Many trads did. But now we have Pope Francis, and now we have more and more and more Catholics, mainstream Catholics, non-trad Catholics. We have mainstream theologians published in International Catholic Journal Communio or Nova Advetera who are rebuking Pope Francis who are signing the document calling him a heretic. This is a result of Pope Francis' pontificate, which is inadvertently dismantling the false spirit of Vatican I. This is the silver lining here. This is the the good that, that God may bring out of evil here. So God always brings good out of evil in every case. So if you click on the link below, you can go to the latest article on this topic. Uh, and in this, it's a very important aspect that we're trying to bring out, and that is the breakdown of the norms of theological interpretation. So the um, the post, post-Vatican II collapse of theology, in this article, we talk about the breakdown and the loss of the norms of theological interpretation, which does not allow us to even understand Vatican II, much less Vatican I. And so even by me starting to talk about the false spirit of Vatican I, I'm going to be accused of being a heretic because people are accusing me of denying Vatican I. And that's not a Catholic approach. First of all, we need to be given, everybody needs to be given the judgment of charity. St. Thomas says you need to assume the best of others unless they give you evidence, evident reason to think that you are acting in bad faith. Unfortunately, based on the evidence of Pope Francis, it is difficult to conclude that he is acting in good faith. That's a that's a that's a sad reality. We should all lament that fact. I wish that I could give Pope Francis the benefit of the doubt. We should want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But Kennedy Hall, our contributing editor, wrote a piece uh, last fall, and he simply said that we need to give Pope Francis the benefit of the doubt until. There's a point where it starts to strain our rationality. And there's a there's a fideism in the false spirit of Vatican I, where it says, I need to sus- I need to take my rationality and suspend that rationality so that I can just follow whatever the Pope says. I'm not a rational person. I cannot rationally understand the faith. Therefore, I need to let the Pope just speak. Well, that's a denial of Vatican I's first decree, which is Dei Filius, which dogmatizes the fact that you can know God by reason alone. It denies the most fundamental aspects that man or any layman or woman or child has to rationally grasp through the elimination of faith the dogmas necessary for salvation. And so... The false spirit of Vatican I is this fideism, which we are attempting to dismantle at 1 Peter 5. And this is where we'll have Kwasniewski on next week talking about his new book, The Road from Hyperpapalism to Catholicism. There is a two-volume text from Maruka Press. And 
we'll be talking about the the first first part of this will be next week. This is be something that we'll continue to deal with and try to write on. We're calling for submissions. I already have two or three submissions that I, I'll be publishing very soon. I've got a, a very good one coming, uh, God willing, tomorrow. Um, as we continue to discuss this and try to dismantle and understand our obligations as Catholics, that we can die in the faith and enter purgatory, please God, and have eternal life and save our souls and help our spouses and our children save their souls and fight against the heresy that is destroying souls in our church. So that is all we have. Let me I see a few questions here, comments. Uh, Lou says, we care about what he says because it causes confusion and misleads. We should have discipline to keep a low profile because he must be less himself or more the echo of Christ, a title which he rejects. Absolutely. We certainly care about what the Roman pontiff says and how he sows confusion. There's two aspects to this. One aspect is there's the lack of subsidiarity. And so if we have Leo XIII saying some one thing to neo-Masonic France, as he did in 1884, which may cause confusion for the rest of the church, we have a problem because it's a problem of subsidiarity. So if I'm sitting in, in the United States reading what Leo XIII says about, about Masonic France in 1884, that's going to confuse me in the United States just by the very fact that he's talking about France and the United States is different than France. That's a, a failure of subsidiarity. But second, there's a breakdown, as we talk about in the article today, there's a breakdown of the norms of theological interpretation. And this is an innovation of Vatican II where there was an adoption of new language. So people don't even understand the language that is being said. We talk about rigid rigidity. Well, what the heck do you mean by that? St. Paul says, be rigid and hold to, this, hold to the faith of your father. fathers. Stand fast to the faith of your fathers. So I'm going to follow St. Paul on that one. But there's a lack of, there's a the breakdown of language. Because nobody, nobody speaks the same language. Nobody knows Latin anymore. Nobody knows these terms anymore. And that's exactly what the modernists did under Tiller, Tyrrell and Loisy when Pius X uh, destroyed them. George Tyrrell had the, the Nicene Creed where he used the Nicene Creed terms and then he reinterpreted them all in a heretical way. And that's the way that the modernists work. They, they don't work by means of logos and rationality. They use vagaries to push their agenda, and that's how confusion. So absolutely, Lou, you make a great point. Um, when people see no other realistic alternatives, and they don't think set of incantism, is one people will embrace all kinds of nonsense, especially if it happens to vindicate their convenient status quo. Pope Pius IX's exhortation to full loyalty to the Holy See isn't based on fortuitous historical circumstances, but on the nature and function of the papacy as instituted by Christ. I'm not sure exactly which exhortation you're referring to, but you're absolutely right. The papacy is the foundation of the church. The church is founded on the rock of St. Peter. And the person of St. Peter and his faith, the person of St. Peter and his successors in Rome, and the successors of all the apostles in every diocese. It is the fundamental constitution of the church. Absolutely. 
the false spirit of Vatican I then comes in and says, the Pope, because the Pope is the, is the foundation of the church, the Pope can contradict the scripture. The Pope can contradict the tradition. The Pope can contradict his predecessor. Even if his predecessor laid down the law or established the law or the, the Pope has arbitrary power. The Pope, the, the Pope papacy is the foundation of the church. So therefore the, the, it is the Pope's will that cover that governs the church and not the rational canonical norms of law tradition interpreted by the Pope as its servant. The Pope is the servant and guardian of the tradition. He is not the Lord and master who creates tradition ex nihilo, that would be the false spirit of Vatican I. But Vatican I itself says that the Pope is instituted by Christ in the fundamental constitution of the church. And that is why you must be loyal to the Pope. You must be loyal to the Pope because he's the guardian of the tradition. He's the one who guards the tradition and safeguards it by his communion the his infallible communion in the true faith his ex cathedra statements his definitive pronouncements together with all the bishops but the day-to-day -day false spirit of the vatican one is when we start to make our whole spiritual and doctrinal catholic life around what the next thing the pope says so you have popes pope rails on grandma's lace and then every priest in the roman rite preaches a sermon on how grandma's lace is a bad thing you know in um on the next sunday's homily that's a problem and that's the problem that we really want to address here at one peter five so you can send submissions if you have any thoughts on this at uh, onepeter5.com. I think it's slash submissions. Is that our, I should know my my own URLs, but I don't. Um, you click on submissions, it's under the about, uh, but you can send them to editor dot, or editor at onepeter5.com, onepeter5.com slash submissions. So that's all we have right now. We're gonna offer up a Hail Mary to end this out. Uh, praying always for our brethren in Ukraine. Uh, and this, this icon is the Russian Catholic icon of Our Lady of Fatima. Our Lady of Fatima is one of our patrons together with Emperor Carl at 1 Peter 5. And so we asked Our Lady of, ask Our Lady of Fatima, especially for the Crusade of Eucharistic Reparation, one of the most fundamental aspects of Fatima, which can sometimes be lost, is that there's a Eucharistic reparation aspect to Fatima through the Angel of Portugal. So we ask Our Lady of Fatima to give us a true spirit of reparation to the Blessed Sacrament. We also ask for true love for the Holy Father. We, we do need to, we have the duty to love and pray for the Holy Father, the Roman Pontiff, even if we don't like him. That's part of our own salvation, because as St. John says, he who says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. And most importantly, that's true of the Holy Father. So we pray for the Holy Father. Uh, we know that he's in bad health, so we pray for his health. If he is indeed, as seems to be the case, is he, if he's been woefully misinformed and misled, perhaps culpably, 
about the trads to continually rail on us and grandma's lace. We pray that he be forgiven and turned from this woeful way of confusion and turned to Christ. Let's pray. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum liarabus, et benedictus frutus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostrae. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Turtle time. <laughs>